Then how hot you look right now. <laughs> it's like two girls, one cupcake. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, The Irishman. The Irishman? The Irishman. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like The Irishman, we're longer than we should be. Uh, seriously though, if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your hair pieces <laughs> because we're about to take a very slow and anticlimactic tumble. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm starting early. Uh, essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained, including a caption contest, a quiz, some xylophones, some impressions, some sound effects, and a whole lot of banter. So do stick around. Now, this week's film on trial, as I said before, is the 2019 crime epic, The Irishman. Is it kissing the Blarney Stone or is it pissing the kidney stone? Oh, Jesus. I quite like that one, if I'm honest. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it was very hard. It was, it was very... Well, to, to if anyone's had kidney I, I was stones, there when they might be having flashbacks. It, and it was just... It was hard to stay away from xenophobic ones, so you did well. Well, hopefully we're going to find out if it's good or not. Anyway, just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can listen to this episode after you've watched it. It's on Netflix at the moment, if you've got three and a half hours to spare. Or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to you by me, which will start, I don't know, around the 40 minute mark. Have you just dropped chocolate on my couch? No. <laughs> I mean, it looks like you fucking have. Ale- Alex doesn't have a pen and we were joking about dipping our finger in a chocolate cake. <laughs> and you're using the couch. <laughs> I'll let you off. Right, uh, okay. So on to the bulk of the show. This week's film, as mentioned before, is The Irishman. Um, hang on. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what I'm going to do here. Hang on, wait. So this week's film, as mentioned before, is The Irishman. Um... What the actual fuck is that? Oh, it's um. Okay, and his name is Kevin Kelly. Over ring ramadu ramada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the jar, Jesus Christ. I like, why don't I ever do a bit of research before on just to what song I'm going to play in the island? I thought you did a pretty good, considering that was off the cuff. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, terrible. thanks. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, b- before we uh, uh, go on, I completely forgot. We should say that our last film on trial was uh, Bone Alone. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't forget that. You couldn't even keep a straight face. So, <laughs> was that, was, uh, so it was uh, Bone Alone. Hang on. <laughs> uh, which sums up the film pretty aptly uh, Joel do you judge that trial and you deem that it should be placed on the hit list surprisingly you said it was one of the best films you'd ever seen <laughs> uh, now you've since gone away did you make the right call I love the way you, you, you didn't say you've since gone away and watched the film though I, <laughs> I watched it once and I'll never watch it again um, unless somebody tells me otherwise I've definitely made the right call oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's going to be one of those things like is, is Sits and Kane, you're going to be on your deathbed like, with a, a copy <laughs> if I could of change one thing. Just out of your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, well, thank you very much for that, Joel. Um, so, yeah, as I said before, this week we're going to be covering The Irishman. It was recommended to us by a longtime listener, Brother Kelly, who says, <laughs> Get this one on trial, lads. Great film, which reminds me of my younger days. Uh, nothing to do about Ireland, just all the senseless violence that is. Is that before or after he jumped out of the uh, airport airplane? What? Oh, Brother Kelly that... jumped out of a, an airport. Oh, an airplane, didn't he? Did he? 
I might have been on a quiplash joke. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have mistaken a quiplash joke. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. For reality. That's a really dangerous game you're playing, Ozzy. Anyway. Can you stop blurring those lines, Ozzy? Anything's possible. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I've spoken to someone from school and explained, said that he, he had a hobby. This is exactly what Trump does. He just kind of, just like... Makes up something and just says it is fact. That's, that's, that's what you're going to be doing. This is fake news, man. Um, so all of the roles have been picked out uh, of the hat at random. So in defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Ozzy and Dave. Now Ozzy is a bit like Stephen Graham's Tony Pro. He's secretly scouse. He dresses flamboyantly and he is notoriously late for everything. <laughs> and Dave is just like Frank De Niro's. Sorry, it's just like Robert De Niro's Frank Sheeran. An old man inside a slightly younger man's body. <laughs> I'd love to meet Frank De Niro. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, in the roles of uh, prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me and Joel. I'm a little bit like Al Pacino's Jimmy Hoffa, power hungry, stubborn, and a massive overactor. <laughs> and Joel is just like Harvey Keitel's Angelo Bruno. He doesn't do much. But what he does, he does passably. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, we will be making the best case for our roles. These may or may not be our genuine opinions, though. So do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear our real thoughts, which means this week, Alex has the most important role as he will be playing the judge. Now, Alex is a little bit like Joe Pesci. I knew it was going to be Joe Pesci. <laughs> we all knew it was going to be Joe Pesci. <laughs> Alex is a bit like Joe Pesci, as in he dresses and looks like Harry in Home Alone. <laughs> now, Alex must decide... <laughs> which, I'll take it. <laughs> Alex must decide which list the film should be placed on hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, and not using his own opinion, which is good, because he hasn't seen the film. Probably balked at the fucking 3.5 runtime. Uh, anyway, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. I don't, I don't think we need to spin it. I think <laughs> there's one person in this room who always speaks like Al Pacino, and we're looking at you. <laughs> well, it's funnily enough, it's landed on Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I tell you what, we can we can all we can all have a go because it's a very short synopsis. So why don't we all have a go of uh, of doing Al Pacino um, uh, reading out the synopsis? So uh, start with with yourself, Dave. Uh, uh, no, someone else. I'm just checking. Okay, getting it up. I'll start with me. A mob hitman recalls his possible involvement <laughs> with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. <laughs> if he had a stroke, <laughs> which if you watch the film it is debatable, uh, Dave. A mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. That's like the cookie monster. <laughs> Alex? Okay. A mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of a Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> Good inflection. Good inflection. Uh, Joel? A mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, a mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. What the hell was that? <laughs> I think I'm that, not sure I watched the same film as you guys. <laughs> I think you've been watching the best of WWE. <laughs> right, okay. So, um, yeah, you, so you got a bit of an understanding, Alex, as to what it's about. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. So, without further hesitation, we'd like to please kick off proceedings. 
I would like to. So I think I'm going to go for defence first this time. So that's you yeah. and uh, Dave and Ozzy. Anyone <clears throat> like to say the first points? Well, firstly, I actually haven't seen the film, so if you could tell me just a little bit. I know Jimmy Hoffa, something about that. Yeah. yeah. So if you could tell me a little bit about what it's about. So it's about a mob hitman. Who, uh, <laughs> <laughs> recounting his time uh, when he when he used to um, used to work for Jimmy Hoffa until mm-hmm. towards the end of the film, and he has to kill Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. Essentially, so it's basically an account of uh, Frank Sheeran's book, uh, I Hear You Paint Houses, which he uh, wrote shortly before his death. He was a, this is a true story, sort of. This is his account of what happened, and he claimed to have killed Jimmy Hoffa as well as another of, and those other important mafia figures. This has been disputed. You know, we're not actually sure whether Frank Sheeran did commit these murders. People say, oh, no, there's flaws in his story, there's errors here. This is just his recounting of the story. So this could be what happened to Hoffa, it could be what happened to the other mobsters. We just don't know. This is just one man's telling of it. And it is how he told it. It just what I, sorry, Bruce, just quick one. What I love about this start is this is possibly the, the longest film we've ever had on Films on Trial, mm-hmm. and yet it's the shortest plot summary that we've ever had. <laughs> Austin, summed, Austin summed it up in about 10 seconds. But I, also, it, just, it wasn't, it wasn't the Lawrence Llewellyn Bones autobiography also called The Paint Houses? <laughs> I hear you paint houses. <laughs> very, very different genre. Yeah. Yeah. Not but, uh, similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> Both of them do their own carpentry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it I seems ca- a shame for you to fight now. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what Dave said, he summed it up pretty well, and that would be great in a one and a half hour film. But like that is just stretched so far out over three and a half hours, which sounds like a long time because it fucking mm. is. You feel every single minute of that. I feel like this could have just been crammed in. Like just no, not crammed just condensed, just edited. I feel like Martin Scorsese just needed somebody next to him to say, no, you don't have to have that bin. Just trim this bit. Just He just was unleashed. Like George Lucas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> needed to be, he needed to have Disney behind him to rein him in. Right. If I may, the, the, the length is long. It is a very long film, but it is justified in its own way. It's not just a recounting of the events that led up to the murder of Jimmy Hoffa. It's a character study of Frank Sheeran, understanding the motivations behind this man. How an Irishman got into the mob and became so powerful within, within the mostly Italian-American mob. And it, it's more of a character study upon him and the way De Niro plays him throughout the ages and although it is a long film that is why they chose to distribute it through Netflix so people can watch it on their own time and if you just google um, you know how to break down The Irishman there's a load of ways saying oh yeah you can break it down into a mini series this way you can break it down this way although we've had long films out there before that people can't be bothered watching that's the first time I've seen people break it down so it can be digested and I take from that the consensus being that it's a good film it is worth watching this is the way to break break it down yeah. and to watch it yeah completely in actual fact i watched it in two settings i would say and it was actually I, I did about two and a half hours two hours 45 i felt like a reasonable time i didn't have to check my watch throughout it wasn't it wasn't an issue and it was the end of it the thing with the the length though is it gives the characters time to to breathe and and pace it so you get the feel for the way things are done in the underworld there's a lot of there's a lot of unspoken uh events that happen there it's, it's you're being shown what's going on you're not just somebody talking to you throughout it there's a lot of you know other little bits you have to watch and, it's quite complex there's a lot of characters there's a lot to get through in the three and a half hours yeah yeah, yeah. essentially there, there's a lot there there are a lot of characters to get through but it focuses on you know the very key key members but it's the way they deal with things they don't uh they, they take their time with the speaking they take their time there's a lot of silence where you get to watch people behave 
And uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why it why it takes a bit of time. And it's it's the right medium is that you're at home, so you don't feel edgy, you don't feel uh, restless that it's a long film. So it's I, I didn't see it as an issue. Lovely, Joel. Uh, yeah. So although this is on Netflix, it was actually released in the cinema as well. So I don't think you can actually say it's just you know meant for small bites. I don't think that's the case. But also. Um, you know the what they said about the story and being a character study that is correct but it it also goes to like just really painfully detailed lengths like you just see characters sitting there thinking you know just imagine that in any film when they're formulating a plan and it's just you know five ten minutes of silence and him sat there like mulling over his thoughts you know as some people might like that but I just think it it completely takes you out the film you're like this is boring now let's just get to the next bit of action and the story because the story is one that you probably want to hear. And another point I just want to make as well is that if it just feels really overly familiar, you know, Scorsese doing like a mob film. Um, and not only that, it's, it's very, it's, it's very much in kind of the same vein as like casino or, or Goodfellas or something like that. Whereas Goodfellas might be more kind of action orientated and more about like the high life. This is definitely not that, but it definitely feels like you've seen this film before. Um, so I just think it's too much, of a similar thing spread over too, you know, too much of an amount of time for anybody to to really get into it. Yeah, I'd I'd like to kind of tag on a little bit what Joel was saying in argument to like Dave and Austin's viewing experiences. I'm pretty sure that's not how Martin Scorsese intended it to be viewed as like a mini series or broken down into two or three different viewings. You know, he intended it to be a film to watch in, as Joel said, released in the cinemas in one uh, portion. And I'm sorry, it was just too long. It was just far, far, far too long. Like he had criticism uh, famously for the MCU films. And he said, oh, they're just not cinema. Well, for me, this isn't cinema either. This, as Dave said, is it feels more like a miniseries. I think this would have been definitely better uh, broken up into like a three-part, um, you know, one-hour miniseries where you had the time to concentrate on the actors. But what ends up, as Joel says, is there's a lot of just drawn out long parts to this film. Like the scenes that just go on and go on and go on. Like, you know, I'm just just thinking of one uh, off the top of my head. There's a scene where um, uh, Robert De Niro's Frank gets into a car and there's two other characters, Jimmy Hoffa's son and another character who's a hitman. And one of the seats is wet because he had a fish in the car. And there's a dialogue between two of the characters saying like, oh, why is the seat wet? Oh, because I had a fish in there. You had a fish in the car? Yeah, I had a fish in the car. You had a fish in this car? Yeah, I had a fish in the car. And that goes on for about three minutes. Like, And that happens a lot. That happens time and time again. It seems like, I don't know whether it's ad-libbing. I don't know whether it's just, you know, like kind of um, Scorsese was just behind the camera just going, no, keep on going. This is good. This is good. But it just happens time and time again and it becomes very, very tedious. And you think to yourself, if you would have cut all of that out, you could have saved yourself about half an hour, maybe more. Um, just with reference to that particular scene, that scene does serve a purpose. Um, the story about the, he picked up a frozen fish, left it on his back seat, and that's why the seat's wet. It shows the paranoia that is inbred in members of the mob. Robert De Niro refuses to sit in the front seat because earlier in the film, we see someone getting garroted uh, as they sat in the passenger seat yep. by the guy behind. By the same so character. he refuses to let the hitman sit behind him. It's like, oh, you don't want to sit back there. The seat's wet. It's like, I'll sit on the wet seat. It's fine. And they have, they almost, they start shouting at each other because he refuses to sit in front of this hitman. And it shows the paranoia yeah. between them. I think it's an important scene. I'm and not talking about that scene though. Yeah. I'm talking about the scene that follows it. So I'm talking about the scene where yeah, they're in, in the, the car, car. Yeah. and yeah. they have about a three minute dialogue about the 
fish being in the car. But again, paranoia though. Again, paranoia. Bugs, the hitman, is is questioning. It's like, what, what's going on here? Why can't I sit in the back? And he's also paranoid. It's like, how can you not remember what kind of fish you got? Yeah. He's questioning people. He's really trying to get to the bottom of it because he can't compute it and he's, he's paranoid. And, he's, and I think it shows the fear that is just... Yeah, and, and then the other thing is, what were you doing picking up a fish in the back of the car you haven't got the full story for? What mm. was it? Was it really a fish? And in the end, you find out, oh, I actually turned up to pick a package up, which yeah. I was told was a fish. Mm. And then I drove it to somewhere else. That's and it gives you an insight into the driver of him not being incredibly astute to he's the not situation in the he's, he's in. Not, he's not getting the paranoia. Yeah. He's not sure why he's giving him the third degree. Yeah, yeah. Because he's only, he's Jimmy yeah. Hoffa's and, um, stepson. And then when Jimmy Hoffa gets in the car, mm-hmm. he explains to him, never have a fish and never pick a fish up in your car okay. because you can out the spe- so this, and that's again it's about what's not said I mean this so is bullshit talk, it's not well, they're talking no no about, that's just true it's why the dialogue's important yeah they talk about but I mean in the get... grand scheme of things I'm, saying, I'm not saying that what you're saying is, is, yeah. is not true I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things we've got you know like what I want to say is Dave, Dave touched upon this before he said it's about Frank Sheeran and his involvement with Jimmy Hoffa right but the meat and potatoes of this film is Jimmy Hoffa right and when Jimmy Hoffa, the whole thing is like, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Because he just mysteriously disappeared. And Frank Sheeran in his autobiography is saying, no, this is actually what happened. Mm. So when we get to finally finding out what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, we've still got 42 minutes after he dies until the end of the film, which is wrapping up, which is completely just pointless. Well, I don't think well, it's because it's to do with the, the fish scene you were just on. Because it's the story. Aussie, just finish off. Yes, and, and then the, I will yeah, 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 it's yeah. The, rec- the recount of what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, but it's also told from the view of Frank. So you need to understand what's going on with Frank. And then the last 42 minutes is really him coming to, to terms with the the consequences of his actions, you know, and in particular, like the estrangement with his daughter. You can wrap it up quicker than that. So... No, and I don't think you can. I think the silence and the length of that really speaks to the the emotion of the scene that you really grasp that he's an old man and he's suffering, you know, and you have to see them in prison to get to that point. I think it it, it works for that, that matter. I actually think it's a really clever use of the time. That's it. I mean, Frank went on to live for another 30 years after Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. Yeah, he had years. a long life after that, and it shows the estrangement, how he was disowned by his family when they understood the, the terrible things that he'd done. And although it's not, it doesn't glorify violence in any way, more or less, every mobster you meet, you get a little flashcard that comes up, says his name, says how they died, and almost all of the people he encounters died a horrible, violent death. Yeah. Uh, without us having to see those deaths unfold in front of us, we know that almost everyone that was involved with the Irishman died violently. That would have been more interesting to all see. Right, okay, I'm going to start. Now, <laughs> right. Uh, what I want to go on now, we've talked about you know the film length and sort of what the film's about. What I want to talk about now is like the performances because I know you know there's some heavy hitting actors in here, and also if you could sort of talk a bit about the de aging thing that's going on because I think yeah, that's yeah, quite yeah. interesting. I'm going to give this to defense. So, uh, uh, Joel, the attackers, the attack, uh, prosecution. Uh, so, yeah. So um, for me, it was again a, a very strange decision by Scorsese to hire De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. I mean, Joe Pesci's performance, I think, is the best of the bunch. Um, you know, I'm not going to slate him in any way because I actually think he fits in very well. But the the one thing I will say again is I'll use this word kind of several times and that's, you know, familiar, familiarity. And he, he's, he's used him before, similar role, very, very similar role, in fact, in the sense that, you know, you wouldn't want to fuck with him. You kind of get this idea that he's just a guy who would just, you know, gladly kill somebody and then have his tea afterwards type of thing. But mm. um, the... The characters of um, De Niro and Al Pacino, like why has he used those actors? You know, he's done this de-aging process. And fair enough, you know, 
he likes those actors, you know, directors, producers, they all have kind of the favorite people that they work with. We see it all the time. Um, but I just think it was a really big opportunity rather than de-aging people to use different actors and, and actresses and things like that. And I just think it was a big opportunity missed, especially using De Niro. Um, I just think he is one of those people who is good at what he does, which is this type of film. But we've seen it so many times before, like so many times before, that I just think casting him was just, again, just, you know, kind of old dog, new tricks type of thing, trying to trying to go along that route. And then Al Pacino, I just think now, just needs to stop. I, I know there's some people who really like his performances, but I just think he needs to stop. I, I just think he hams it up far too much. And I think it comes across in several scenes as well. It just seems like he's trying too hard. He's just doing what Al Pacino does. And similarly with De Niro, he's just doing what De Niro does. I'd, I'd like to add that at no point, to like the de-aging CGI looks good in certain scenes, but in no point is it really needed. Uh, same, same to what Joel was saying. I don't understand why they had went through all the effort and the expense to de-age four 70 to 80 year, odd year old actors instead of just hiring four younger actors. The scenes when it's just Pacino and, oh no, sorry, like or your Pacino and De Niro or De Niro and Pesci when they're just together and the de-aging looks pretty good because it's just those two against each other. But then the scenes where they're interacting with actual actors who are playing their, their own age and it just looks odd. It makes them look like mannequins. It makes them look like you know, like their drawings. It's very, very obvious. And when it comes to the performances, like, I'm, I'm sorry, Joel said that Pesci does a decent job and I think he does, but the reason is, is because his character calls for somebody like Pesci of Pesci's age. Pacino and De Niro are playing characters who are like 20, 30, 40 years, their juniors. And I'm sorry, they are just past it. They may look younger thanks to the CGI, but they don't act younger, so they look younger. But like, they, they, especially when you compare it to roles uh, they played at that age when they were supposed to be the, the portraying in the film. So you know they're supposed to be like forty, fifty in this film. Uh, if you look at roles they played when they were that age, like Goodfellas, Carlitos Way, or whatever, and then you compare it to this film, it's just they're they're hunched over. They've all got hunchbacks. They're slow. Their dialogue and their speech is delivered. It's really tired. You know, there's there's a scene later on where Hoffa like loses his shit at a bunch of his workers, and he really really erupts. Now you compare that to some of the like fantastic explosive um, sort of like outbursts that Pacino's recorded in the past, and in comparison to this, it's just. It's quite embarrassing, really. There's a point where it looks like Pacino has forgotten his lines and Scorsese's just rolled with it. And like he's like misremembered what he was saying and he looks up and he's almost laughing. And then he's like, he's seen Scorsese go, keep on going. And then he's, you know, tried to go, go back onto the page. You know, th- there's just so many scenes like that. Like De Niro throughout it just looks like an old man with a young face. And then you get like Harvey Keitel. Why have him in the film and de-age him when he's only in two scenes? Then you've got younger actors like Bob- Bobby Cannavale, uh, who is aged up and I just don't understand it's like well, why go through the effort of aging him what Joel was saying like the Jesse Plemons is in it who I really really rate as an actor why not have him in a bigger role why not have him in the in the De Niro role because the De Niro role it's, it's essentially it's like written for a 20 or 30 year old I think because when it starts off he's like a delivery van driver and everybody's calling them kids and you know it's all about his life and meeting his wife and you know his, his then his lover and whatever and it feels like it should be a younger man but he looks about 50 and it's like it just it just doesn't gel so it's always off so about the de-aging thing I'll touch on that first is um at first I thought I'm not sure about this 
and th- and thought it was going to creep up as something to come through. And then in actual fact, it didn't bother me at all throughout the film. Uh, I thought in some places it's actually quite effective because they de-age in front of your eyes at some times and you don't really notice it because it's as they're talking and then the face goes from old too young and you move into the the era that they're talking about and um, because there's a lot of flashbacks in this and there's flashbacks within flashbacks um and it's it's catered for really well through the clothing through the costumes through the the, the actual it's well shot so you you never feel lost in what time period you're looking at and the the, the agent i think was fine there was only one scene where it felt odd to me and that was um when he takes his daughter to meet the grocer so um, that's the only one where I thought, okay, yeah, that's a young face on an old body. The rest of the time, I didn't think it made any, it didn't have any impact to how good the film was whatsoever. It was, if, if you know, if that's your, your biggest gripe from that, that I don't think it's well, an it's issue. Like but... two of the main performers in it just looked old and tired and worn out. If like, just to, like compare it to um, Scorsese's last crime epic, drama which was The Departed where you had Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio who were two younger actors giving explosive performances now he was asking two actors who were like late 70s early 80s even to give the same energy and the same performance as those two other actors and it just didn't work because they're much older I don't know if that is what he was asking I feel like there was a real pace and a real tempo to the entire film which was delivered well because of the continuity of the actors regardless of the de-aging so i think it i think it worked as a choice like an artistic choice i i get what you're saying like i don't disagree that maybe it's time for these guys to give someone else a, a go there's loads of great actors out there i'm sure and loads of of unknown faces who could have done a great job of this but but you know they they are great names and really deliver for the older parts and they they definitely deliver for the younger bits as well like the de-aging didn't bother me yeah. yeah, if I could just speak quickly about the de-aging thing, the, the film spans about five decades. If you, Even if you cast younger actors, yeah, it would seems where the younger may have flowed better, but at the same time, you'd have had to age them anyway. Um, and would they have been able to pull that off? I don't know, but it's, um, it spans about five decades. It starts about in the 19, early, sorry, about 50s, isn't yeah, it, with De Niro as a delivery driver, and it goes right up and through more or less the millennium before Frank, uh, Frank Sheeran passed. And you got Jimmy Hoffa in the 70s as well. Now, Jimmy Hoffa was only a couple of years younger than Pacino when he died. So I think the aging process it was about that they are not far off the ages they're meant to be for the key parts of the film but because the film has such a widespread it was hard to pick the right ages just because there's so much going on there's so many decades being covered with regards to the performances i think joe pesci did a fantastic job i'm so pleased he came out of retirement for this um de niro i thought he did a solid job he's got a lot on his shoulders on this one it's uh it's a big film and it pretty much just follows him hoffa flits in and out the focus feels like it's it's hoffa because he's the character everyone's familiar with he's the person everyone knows but at the same time it's it's de niro's show it's de niro's running this one and i feel it's a, a lot of pressure and i think they took it really well Pacino's performance as Hoffa was a performance and that was what really surprised me about it. It's actually not Al Pacino just being Al Pacino. When he first came on screen and he's uh, making a phone call to Robert De Niro, I was like, that's that's a different accent. That's not Al Pacino's regular accent because Hoffa was from Indiana so he's got kind of, uh, I mean, I don't have an ear for American accents, I'm not a student of, but it's, it's almost like a, a Minnesota, which isn't far from Indiana, so it probably is that kind of, it probably is a decent Indiana accent. It's like actually, Pacino's doing an accent, he's doing a performance. This is different from what we've seen from Pacino for the last 15 years. It's actually a performance from 
from Pacino for once. Was uh, he doing an accent, Dave? Yeah, he was. was listen he? to that phone scene again. I just listen like when you first meet him. Like the first scene, yeah. But then after a while, it's, it's just like... There. It's still there. It's still there. Right, you still got right. that Indiana uh, accent going on. Joel? Uh, yeah, I just want to hammer uh, a point that I've already made home. You know, it's it's like the equivalent of... You know, Robert Downey Jr. has obviously done tons of superhero films. Maybe 10 years later, the Russo brothers direct him again as a superhero. Then 10 years later, again, he's in a separate superhero film as a superhero. It's, at that point, it's like, okay, we know, you know, Robert Downey Jr. can do superhero films, you know, maybe do something else. And it's exactly the same feeling with this film. We, I don't know why he used all the same characters who have done, you know, organized crime films in the past. It, it's just, it's tired at this point. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what Dave was saying before, he was saying, why not have, um, he said, well, if you've got younger actors in, you'd have to age them up. That is something that has been done, been tried and tested. You're talking about The Godfather, you know, like uh, the, the, the Godfather trilogy has done that where they've had younger actors playing older characters and it's easier and better to do because when you want them to have energy and enthusiasm, they've got it in abundance because they're much younger so they can do that and when they are playing older characters all they've got to do is dial it back whereas what you're asking for here is older actors who don't have as much energy and enthusiasm because they're, they're obviously older and you know it's it's hard and more difficult for them to get that same level of performance you're asking them to play somebody who's like 40 years younger and it's more difficult for them so as you said Dave when they are at the ages when they're closer to the actual characters that's alright but when you're going back like I'm going to say the first hour and a half when De Niro is supposed to be like 40. It just doesn't work. He looks like an old man playing a young person, like shuffling around. His eyes look like they're... they're, they're... Austin, you're shaking your head. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just not true. And one, it's not an hour and a half of that because it flits back and forth. And actually the bulk Sorry, it's about of the, two hours. The bulk of the... the and and for, let's say for that two hours, so they actually the bulk of that time, he's playing somebody close to his age. And then you go back for scenes with the de-aging process and I think I don't think a younger person could portray the they don't young people whenever you see young people who are aged up and they've got all this stuff on yeah they look convincing they don't act convincing this you get the feeling of somebody who's lived a life and and I don't think that comes you've got to be an incredibly good actor to give that but if you're already somebody who's lived that life and you've you've been through that and yes the familiarity he's been you know these guys have done mob films all the time so it's almost as though they are part of the the scene you know it's almost as though they've lived it so they've got that that familiarity the same for the audience you know that's where they've been so you can believe that oh yeah they were there this is a this is a recap of something which i i think i saw because they were in a film that they were famous for you know so you feel like that's the truth so i reckon that that the the joel's bad point of it being familiar is actually a good point because you believe it's like that they were mobs. Michael mobsters. Myers after Halloween Nine, you know, he's really good at being Michael Myers by that point. But all, all I'm saying, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. so why not have him again? You're, if you're, you're really good at doing a job, bring them in to do it. You're, you're yeah. pausing De Niro and Pacino for playing old, sort of tired, worn out, and regretful. That's not that difficult for them. All they've got to do is think about the last fifteen years of their careers. Which you know, means fucking Jack and Jill and all sorts of bullshit. Which means they do a far better job of delivering it. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Method acting. Yeah, yeah. Pick the right person for the job, and that's what he's done here these are these are perfect okay i feel like i've got a lot on you know the length of the film i've got a lot about the de-aging thing and the performances and stuff like that martin scorsese though he's a heavy hitter of a director go on how's the how's just the actual way the film's edited the the shots in the film cinematography i, th- I genuinely think it's brilliant the uh, the aging the coloring the 
the shots themselves. Like uh, uh, Gav mentioned about these long drawn out sort of shots and lots of driving scenes, lots of things like that. But the way the shot you get to see the characters in the back seats, the characters in the front seats, and the way people are interacting, it's it's really well. I think it's very cleverly done, so that you you really get a sense of the distance between characters. And um, so the, one of the things which I, I imagine was going to get picked up by Gavin, actually, fact is how how little uh, script. Um, his daughter, and I can't remember her name, but she gets, I think she's got maybe like six and a half lines or something like in the whole thing. But she is acting fully throughout that and that works perfectly. I don't th- I, I don't disagree that I, I, I'm preempting uh, an item, but I think this is this is the director's choice. I'm not. Uh, no, like, no, I mean, like, it's a, it, it, this is different because this is based on an autobiography. So, yeah, if, yeah. if this guy didn't write, um, a, a, you know, a lot about his daughter, yeah, you can't then, include him. But what, what, but what I was going to get is that just to preempt. But it is the a fact- fucking old sausage fest. I will say that. There's a market for that. But to, yeah. pre- but to preempt that, in actual fact, what she portrays and it's done through just on screen. You are shown this is silence. And it's that silence which which eats up on him, and I think that's done one through the acting, but two through the shots, the choice of shots, and the choice of how long you are allowed to linger on that that period, and of his his reflection upon that, and that, and that's clearly a directorial choice. You know, it's three and a half hours through choice, and it, and it's I, I think it's the right choice. And less about the direction and more about one person's performance. <laughs> I think I'll it, leave that to the judge, Dave. I, um, it's it's a masterclass in directing. I mean, Martin Scorsese, whether you're a fan of his films or not, you got to appreciate that he's at the top of his game and has been for some time now. He is a, a very talented director, and he knows how to get the best out of his cast. Maybe that's why he's gone back to the familiar faces, because he knew he could work with them. He knew this was a challenging project, and he needed to work with people that he knew and that knew him, and then he could get the results from. And he got the results. The performances are solid. He got the results that he wanted. The direction is great. And one thing I don't think Scorsese gets enough credit for is the wit that he draws out of his actors and pushes into his dialogue at points it's funny you know there is just a natural wit to these like authentic realistic conversations that just make you smile it's just like these witty conversations that people would genuinely have and it's because it is there is a lot of dialogue going on you know this isn't an action film like The Departed or even it's not even as action packed as Goodfellas it is very much more about speaking and about the subtleties that make the mob work and that make the Teamsters Union work and because it is so dialogue heavy the dialogue's got to be good and it is and he's got the actors to deliver that dialogue make it funny when it needs to be funny make it serious when it needs to be make it emotional when it needs to be Joel I am definitely one of the first people to admire you know Scorsese he's pretty much done all of my favourite films maybe Spielberg as well you know directors of that era um, you know I've got a lot of time for and you know I, I agree with uh, some stuff that Dave and Ozzy said I do think that you know the direction overall is very good but uh, there's different words that I would use you know I mentioned in the first point about there being long drawn out sequences where there's no dialogue and things like that. And sure, you know, for a minute or two, it might, you know, get a bit of sense of dread or, you know, a, a bit of anticipation on what's to come or whatever. But after those minutes, it it just turns into bleak and it's a very colorless film as well. I think it's, um, you know, not something that's overly pretty on the eye, something that draws you in. There are some really nice shots in there, as you'd expect with you know Scorsese but I do think that you know if you're expecting you know beautiful cinematography and that type of thing even something like a bit more lively like Goodfellas where there's you know bits of color and things like that in there it's, you don't really get that in this film okay I'd, I'd like to um, say that a lot of Scorsese's shots 
once again, it's pretty much what I was saying before, needs to be reined in a little. You know, there are some beautiful shots in this film, but there are also a lot of really drawn out shots. There's a scene where, like, Robert De Niro's character is is going to a drive, uh, sorry, is is getting his car washed. And that's in slow motion. And that's about a minute of his car being washed, right? There is so many scenes like that. Slow motion is just overly used. Uh, Scorsese, I just think he needs to be definitely reined in. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of these scenes... So Dave was talking about the dialogue. A lot of the dialogue is repetitive. So as I said before, the thing, the scene with the fish, a lot of it is sort of like, oh, hey, you know, uh, I was I was talking to little Jimmy the other day. Little Jimmy, little, yeah, little Jimmy. You mean little Jimmy from wherever? Yeah, little that little Jimmy. Oh, I haven't said, you know, it's a lot of the same Gav, stuff. Gav no, exaggerates how, yeah. slightly. Yeah, he is exaggerating, but he was a little Tony. None of the other Tony. But I also watched it with um, subtitles on because the, the it's very, very drawn out it's very long it's very bloated and there are a lot of characters in it there are a lot of old white men in it as well right and they get introduced and dave says that like little flashes come up of who they are and how they died which i think is actually good because if that wasn't there i wouldn't know who the fuck anybody was uh, it's a bit annoying because as dave said as well you don't get a lot of action in this i would have preferred to have seen how these guys got killed i would have preferred a bit of action but instead what that's substituted with is long drawn out dialogue once again and like this I, so I watched it with the subtitles on and there's so many points where it just says in brackets inaudible or incoherent or mumbles I, you, I'm not sure about that I'm also watch just it, watch it again. I, I, I didn't need to watch it with subtitles I understood what was being said there is no need to watch it in subtitles it's not meant to be watched with subtitles it's it's clearly not you know it, it's designed to be to be watched and enjoyed Gav's argument about some of these shots are long and drawn out I was he not bone alone is designed to be watched and enjoyed as well yeah and I loved it I really like <laughs> But like Gav's argument when we had 2001 Space Odyssey about these long drawn out shots was not, oh, Stanley Kubrick need to be reined in, not in the slightest. Well, this is, well brought up, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. I did say that. I know, I know, I know, I know you've you really brought him but into that trap. It's just, <laughs> it, it's, it, in this sense, that, and, and, we're, and Joel's saying, you know, oh, it's a minute, a minute and a half of, of this thing, but and it stretches out for maybe two minutes, a little bit more. I think that's what really works with it is it's just pushing the boundaries of make you know of being in the car in silence of just waiting uh, uh, you know waiting for something to happen there's a moment where um when when things are really heading up when um, people are dying in car bombs and and they're sending messages to each other and uh, and Joe uh, Jim Hoffer's wife gets sacked from the job she's working for his rival because he's taken over the union and um, so she gets sacked and she goes to sit in the car and she's just about to turn it on. She's aware of all of this. And then there's this moment where uh, she stops. She doesn't want to turn the engine on. She, you know, she's scared and you wait and you wait and you wait and your hands are on it. And then she turns it and then it skips to a different car blowing up, you know, to, to move through. And it's just that sort of, uh, you know, the impatience and the, and the, the it, it just, I think it was really well done from that part, that point of view, like to really capture. I, I, did, like, I did like that scene. Yeah, I think if, if, the reason why we're not shown these violent deaths is because Scorsese came under a bit of criticism for Goodfellas for glamorizing the mob. Mm-hmm. He has not glamorized the mob whatsoever in this film. It is a, it is a film about 
elderly men, elderly bitter men with these petty grievances, which is essentially what the mob was in the 1970s and possibly still is now. But it was just, it was, it doesn't want to glamorize it. So it didn't want to show these great action sequences, these shootouts, you know, these, these iconic deaths like you would get at the end of The Godfather. He didn't want any of that. He wanted to remove the glamour, remove that, that spectacle of it and just have it like these men died horrible violent deaths end of and the 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 ending with with frank you know what happens to him after these terrible things he's done these hits he's committed he's alienated by his family you know his daughter refuses to speak to him these heartbreaking scenes that de niro portrays and the one that really got me was where after jimmy hoffa's disappeared obviously they were friends and their wives knew each other and um he hasn't called hoffa's wife two days jimmy hoffa's been missing he hasn't called um his wife and his wife says to him oh why haven't you called her why haven't you called her yet obviously she doesn't know what happened and he has to make this phone call to this to Jimmy Hoffa's widow, though she doesn't know she is yet. Um, and she's in bits on the phone; they don't know where he is. And he's trying to console, like, "Oh, he'll turn up. Remember that time he faked his own kidnapping? Maybe remember that time he did that?" And it's just he's—you can see you, you're seeing it from De Niro's perspective, where you're watching De Niro, and he's broken. You can tell he is crumbling, having to speak to to Jimmy Hoffa's wife on the phone. But he's just trying to reassure her, knowing full well that he's killed her husband. It's, it's a fantastic scene. He's probably tired because he just fucking done an three hours worth of work I think alright <laughs> I, 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 I don't know I'm just going to say now I want oh, we're coming to last points now so this is the last chance I'm going to give you all to speak I just wanted to counter on, on what Austin and, and, and David just said Austin mentioned about that really good scene uh, where she's she's wanting to turn the car on but she doesn't you know she's thinking like is it going to blow up I will say that that was a really well shot scene and it was quite tense that is the only time that I really felt tension right and one scene for me which I thought should have been key is Jimmy Hoffa being killed, right? The whole film is building up to this. What happened to Jimmy Hoffa? This film is going to tell you exactly what happened to him. And then when it gets to it, it just after the scene with the fish in the car, they drive Jimmy Hoffa to this empty house where Frank, you know, his, his friends, his confidant, his bodyguards, whatever, um, just shoots him in the back of the head. There is, it's, it, that is one of the only scenes that isn't drawn out. It's just over and done. And I know that Dave and Austin might argue that, you know, like, oh, it's, it, it's showing that, you know, like it's, it comes easy to him or whatever. It, no, it's I just, don't It's just not filmed very well. It's just very quick. It's, there's no tension. There's no like kind of, oh, is there any remorse? Is there any, is he, is he, is he guessing himself? Is it, how difficult is this job for him to do? The tension okay. is building. We all know that Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. We know the circumstances roughly of disappearance. We know that this scene is building up to it. Even that conversation about the fish that was been brought up yeah, before, yeah. it's all building. This tension is like, this is the day he died. He, well, he disappeared, yeah. presumably died. And it's over so quickly in that house. He takes Hoffa into the house and Hoffa realizes it's an empty room. Something's not right. He's like, let's go, Frank. And as he turns to go, shot twice in the head so quickly it's over but it would have been I hate to say it it would have been that quick and Frank wouldn't have wanted to draw it out you don't get these final words you don't get these pithy last lines these witty comebacks or anything like that it's just it's over it's done two in the back of the head leave the room Right, last things, Ozzy, anything more to say on that? No, I, I feel like we've, uh, I think it's a great film. I reckon you'll enjoy it. The length is essentially irrelevant. It, you don't feel like it's three and a half hours. You can sit through this. It feels like it's six and, and a half hours. Okay. <laughs> it's an, it's an easy, you just it's, said you watched it over like three days. <laughs> no, I watched it over just today. Just right. I had to stop because I got off a train. And then, <laughs> no, Joel, Joel, I'm giving you four seconds to bring it home, buddy. It's too long. <laughs> uh, two, two very quick points. Uh, uh, I've 
don't no, know, no, no, man. No. This no, guy's no, just no, got long, drawn-out, Jimmy Hoffa spoke less than this. He's a Number one, right? The uh, in the still of the night plays so fucking much. It is relentless. That song, good song. like Great it's song. a good song, but I don't need to hear it every twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah. And well, second second, point, second point is once again talking about the character's old age. Like when it, it does come to a bit of physical exhaustion, the stuntmen are very obvious. <laughs> there's a scene where Al Pacino uh, lunges at Stephen Graham, and like there's four characters in the room, and only one of them is played by the actor when it comes to the stunt work. There's th- three basically men who were playing like stuntmen pretending to be uh, these actors covering their faces wearing wigs it's, it's embarrassing it's, okay you know, I'll let you refute that that is it's not embarrassing at all it's, it's a very it's a very well shot scene if that's true I didn't I notice I feel like Bruce T. just a little taste of what I happened during Love Actually to <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel if you're pausing it and looking yeah, for yeah. it you might spot right, it yeah. but you've got to pause it I have it. enough and I'm, yeah. I've enough to make my decision thank you as well well thought gentlemen <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Who's got a quiz? Fuck the quiz. <laughs> uh, so this is a little quiz I like to call uh, "Go Freak Yourself, Ozzy." Oh yeah, happy birthday! By the way, we're recording, we're recording on Austin's birthday, but uh, just because it's his birthday doesn't mean that he's any less of a. <laughs> <laughs> This quiz is all about um, uh, terrible Irish accents in movies, okay? Uh, So, uh, number one, um, this is about Warwick Davis and his legendary performance in the film series Leprechaun. The question is, fingers on your buzzers, everybody, how many times did Warwick Davis play the character? Six. Three. Um, Yes. Four. Um, Three. Seven. Alex has got it with six, <clears throat> well, but he didn't Jesus. buzz. <laughs> okay. And I also read your quiz when you were writing it. So. Oh, you love that. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Uh, uh, everybody but Alex. Uh, Julia Roberts, right? Uh, she played Kitty in Michael Collins in 1996, but she wasn't satisfied with butchering the Irish accent just once that year, as she also appeared as the love interest of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in which film? Mary, she- but Mary Shelley. <laughs> Nearly. Mary Belly. <laughs> Mary Berry. It's the name of his maid. I can't remember what, what her name is. I don't know. It? Give it to Dave. I'll give you a half point. Yeah, Ma- Mary Riley. Ah, yeah. Apparently, uh, Roberts had a voice coach for the part, and Roberts' spokeswoman uh, told the tabloid Julia wants her voice to be authentic. <laughs> Authentically shit. Uh, now, uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> played an Irish mobster in the 2000 film Ordinary Decent Criminal. Now, which up-and-coming actor and actual Irishman played a supporting role in the film? Gabriel Byrne. Um, up-and-coming in, tw- in 2000. Um, uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> the Professor X. No. no. Irish, Irish actor. Um, John Farrell. Yes. Yes. John Pitt, Colin Farrell. Hey. Yeah. Did he, is he up-and-coming? Did he ever up-and-come? 
Yeah. <laughs> he up and came. <laughs> and went. <laughs> Down. <laughs> and now he's lingering. <laughs> so now, uh, now we're entering the realm of awful non-Irish actors playing terrorists. Uh, and, uh, Sean Bean was in Patriot Games, which is an adaptation of the Tom Clancy novel, Tom Clancy novel about the CIA analyst Jack Ryan. But how many actors have portrayed the famous character? Four. Um, five. Are we talking just on film? In TV as well. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go for seven. I'm going to say six. Well, Dave's right. It's five. Oh. Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, Chris Pan, and John Krasinski. Uh, next question. Richard Gere was in The Jackal. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Well very, very, very. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which cinematic great. Didn't he bite It's like he pulls it. I said My answer is bam. Next question is. Um, about the film Blown Away. So Tommy Lee Jones once again plays an IRA terrorist. Oh, God, Jeff Bridges yeah. also appears as a police officer. But which one of Jeff Bridges' relatives co-stars in the um, movie? It's Lloyd Bridges. It is Lloyd Bridges. Wasn't What's he this? like down a roundabout or something like that? As in like a little merry-go-round or something? Or a park? Or... Isn't that face-off? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and next question is about the devil's own. So uh, Brad Pitt was in it playing another terrorist. Fucking awful. Uh, but he did have more success three years later with an accent of Irish descent in which film? <laughs> Snatch. Snatch. Well done, Dave. Uh, Snatch. Wasn't Stephen Gray in that as well? He was. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't, wasn't the fact his voice, it was made a joke, but that was actually his attempt at an Irish accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah, bad. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, so the past four entries have just been very, very awful. Um, some awful non, uh, sorry, Northern Irish accents. And it just got me thinking like we're Hollywood's really trying to provoke the IRA (laughs) 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 every film around that time uh, with an IRA terrorist was just a really 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 bad (laughs) accent Uh, anyway didn't they provide a lot of the money to the IRA I don't know we're going to skip over that then (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so which um, uh, which then Hollywood's power couple tried to outdo each other with (laughs) on shitting Um, all over the Irish accents in um, it's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Yes, far and away. <laughs> far, away. Uh, far and away. Oh, is X, X power couple. Awful. Yeah, X, X power couple. Yeah. What time when it was made in the early 90s? I think Cruise just about won that one as well. Okay, uh, next one. Michael J. Fox. It is a really bad attempt as Marty McFly's great-grandfather in Back to the Future 3. Dave, obviously you're not going to be able to get this one because no. you've never seen any of the Back to Futures. Can anybody what? tell me? Oh yeah, you, you, yeah, oh, yeah, you, you missed that it. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah revelation. Also, also doesn't listen to yeah. the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a revelation? <laughs> yeah, we spoke about films that people would be surprised to hear that we hadn't seen. Alex, Alston, Joel, what is the name of Marty McFly's great-grandfather? I'll give you a hint. It ends with McFly. Gordy McFly. No. Abraham McFly. What's it begin with? It's, it's an Irish name. What's it begin with? Sean. Sean Seamus McFly. Seamus McFly. Well done, Austin. Uh, Seamus McFly. Uh, okay, next one. Jared Butler played a Scottish Irishman in which 2007 <laughs> romantic comedy? Oh, Bam. P.S. I love you. Yes, well done, Alex. Oh. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> fuck the buzzers. Uh, and talking about terrible Scottish Irishman, uh, Sean Connery. Uh, in Touchables. In the Untouchables. Oh, um, why was it unusual for the character to have an Irish accent? 
Oh, I don't know. I was going to say something stupid. Because um, Ireland doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a state of mind. <laughs> unusual? It is unusual because the character... Because he should have actually been Welsh and it was Tom Jones. <laughs> well done. Now, uh, the character of Jimmy Lone didn't actually exist. Um, so he didn't actually have to be Irish. They just made up the character. With a name like Jimmy, he had to be Irish, <laughs> though, didn't they? They were like, yeah. so did he Scottish. Yeah. But, but Oscar for Connery. Oscar for Connery. Did he like, get an Oscar for that? Yeah, yeah, he actually did. He actually did. Yeah. But Not it, that bad an accent after all, eh? <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty shit. Let's, let's not forget that. I'm talking about how uh, shit uh, Irish accents by Sean Connery. Uh, what <laughs> is the title of the truly awful 1959 semi-musical film in which he plays a handsome young Irishman? Is it, I'll give you some options. The Green Green Grass of Home. No, I'll give you some options, Austin. Just don't be guessing. We're going to be here a long time if you try to guess the name of this film. <laughs> Cloverfield. It, Anne of no, Green Gables. Number one. Four Leaf Cloverfield. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it number one? Darby O'Gill and the Little People. This is better than my guess. Yeah. Number two, Jimmy O'Flynn and the Ladder to the Moon. Is it number three, Eamon O'Rourke and the 22 Wolfhounds? Or is it number four, Donald O'Casey and the Magic Harp? Donald O'Casey and the Magic Harp. Eamon, I'm going for. Damon O'Gill and the Little People. I'm going for the first the one. Yeah, the one has left it. Yeah, Jimmy O'Flynn and the Ladder to the Moon. <laughs> yeah, well done, Dave. It was Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> and just to kick Brucey while he's down, Buffy the Vampire Slayer through oh, a careful. Oh, come on. Oh, no. Fucking TV. <laughs> when it revealed that which beloved character was originally but, from Goal. Um, actually, no, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Brucey answer this one. Oh, uh, Angel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's because I've been watching it recently and, and you love it <laughs> I didn't love that is it on Netflix it. or Amazon it's on Amazon yeah, yeah. Amazon there's a terrible yeah. accent though, wasn't it? oh is, my god it is, it is very accent. very it bad it is terrible very bad like when it came up I was like oh it's so cringing so hard I have to pause it and leave the room <laughs> but it did give loads of credence to the quiz it did yeah so thank you very much David Boreanaz <laughs> <laughs> not sure that's how you say it but <laughs> you literally sue <laughs> do you know what I've, do you know what no, I've, I've heard you say his name that way so so much I yeah. actually think that's how it's pronounced <laughs> David Aurora Borealis <laughs> <laughs> no sir alright thank you I think for that quiz um, a lot to talk about in that one you know it's a three and a half hour film um, I feel like you know at the point when we were talking about was it a long film or not 3.5 hours many good points on both sides you know they were saying it was over familiar not enough seen it before a bit drawn, drawn out but actually yeah, you know I felt like the defence made a good argument when they were saying well actually it's not rushed I like what they were talking about you know was they removed the glamour sounded like some of the performances weren't perfect and the aging actually, I don't know, it sounds like if it's going to sc- uh, span 50 years or whatever, then maybe they do need to de-age and it's an interesting one. But I think what decided it for me is the fact that this is a film by Martin Scorsese and it's got, you know, it's got Al Pacino, it's got Robert, Robert De Niro in, it's got Joe Pesci, it's got a huge cast. And I just didn't get the sense from the defence that, although it was they thought it was a good film, I didn't get the sense they thought it was a great film. Um, you know, Robert De Niro was solid. Al Pacino did a performance, you know, and, you know, it sounds like Joe Pesci was good, but I just didn't get the sense that this was incredible. And I think the expectations when you got this amount of talent was that really you should maybe have done something more incredible with it. And I just don't think it was. So it's going to go on the shit list. Oh. <laughs> wow. 
Oh, wow. You you take that on your birthday. I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might regret that when I'm judging next. No. <laughs> Ooh, so, uh, a nice. genuine Yeah, I am interested in this. Um, uh, Dave? I actually didn't much like it. Um, it's all right, but it's actually, it, it's far too long. Scorsese should have employed an editor to really, really cut this back a bit. The performances are decent, um, but they're not great. The de-aging process, Gav's absolutely right. They are clearly 70-odd-year-old men putting cases in the back of a car or beating each other up in the street. Yeah. It doesn't look... It's quite jarring. Um, it, it, yeah, it could have been edited better. Um, and yeah, the de-aging is quite distracting. They should have employed younger actors. I agree with a lot of what Gavin Joel said. It's good. It's, it's a good film, but it could have been so much more. I quite enjoyed it. I think it took me. It took me a little while to get into it. Um, but yeah, you but, at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, but I, 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 I got three of the three point five hours together. <laughs> but you got to it once out of twelve years. Yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it actually. I wasn't sure initially, but you know, you, you're sitting there to watch it, and I think it was clever choices throughout. I actually think it's a good film. It's uh, not a classic, but a good film. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't think it belongs on a shit list, but. It's not the absolute greatest uh, film ever. Yeah, I think that you did a good job summing it up. To be honest, I think that you've got such a wealth of talent involved in this that it just should have been better. And I think if I would have watched this and I hadn't have seen the good, uh, the Goodfellas or The Departed, I think you know I might have liked it more. But the fact that I know what Scorsese is capable of, and I've seen those films that are similar, which were also shorter, it just it, it's a bit underwhelming and. We, even if it wasn't three and a half hours, I don't think I, it has the rewatchability of, say, like The Parters or Goodfellas, you know, where you could watch that, you know, every year or every other year or whatever. I don't think I, I'm ever, ever going to watch this ever again. Mm, yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah, I think overrated is definitely something that I, I would pin on this film. When you look at the reviews online, they were like 95%, 98%. Like, I actually struggled to find a few negative reviews, you know, from professional critics um but pretty much everything i said i i kind of believe that to be true as well for me the the nail the big nail in the coffin is that it's just too long i just don't think you can have a a cinema film that's 3.5 hours it's just too long i need a piss after like 45 minutes that's at least like three or four piss breaks in one film yeah Yeah, you make that argument during (laughs) yeah it could it could have been uh 2.5 i reckon yeah easily yeah. Okay. Okay. So higher or lower than our people? <laughs> <laughs> the man Scorsese directed The Irishman, Oscar, not- no- Oscar nominated. <laughs> yes. Do not uh, even bother. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll, we'll we'll do another game. Uh, how much do you reckon it's being Bone Alone score by um, nine? What, what what was The Irishman's ninety five percent? Ninety five percent. Ninety four percent at least. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bone Alone got nineteen percent, and right. The Irishman oh, is ninety six percent. Ninety six percent. I mean, that's like near perfect. Well, you know, once again, I put a poll up on Twitter over the weekend, asked our friends and followers which list The Irishman should be placed on. It wasn't as clear cut as I thought it was going to be. It did end up on the hit list, but only 65%. Mm. And we had a good, I think, 50-odd people voting. I mean, not massive numbers, but, you know, that's a good subsection, I reckon, of our listeners. Um, And before we adjourn the case, I think it's time for a little caption contest. So here what I do is I take a screenshot of the film and I put it on Twitter for our friends and followers to provide a caption and the best one wins a chocolatey frog shaped treat is there any left though you said we could have one each for our quiz last week Uh, well you know you had the fox's biscuits instead oh that was that was instead of 
But you, that even, wasn't clear. Definitely led to believe that was as well. <laughs> like, I said the... you can have a Freddo, and then you all went, eh, "We always get Freddos." I bought the Freddos. <laughs> when did we say that? I do not remember <laughs> I speaking not like, speak that. like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and you know, and then I offered you the Fox's biscuits. I said you can open the second tier, which at the time was unopened, and you all jumped at the opportunity. So you you remember that? I hope those those stale cookies were worth it. <laughs> anyway, so the the caption I've got here is. Um, Jimmy Hoffa um, being led out of the court uh, by um, Frank and by his lawyer played by Ray Romano uh, there's a lot of busy scene there's a lot of people with cameras and there's police officers it's a bit of, bit of a hectic scene as he's getting ushered through the court and you guys just got to pick the funniest caption with what the hell are you doing <laughs> right with Sorry. number one um, stay back I get to have my face digitally de-aged next <laughs> number two the righteous kill premiere got a little out of control number three film twitter on a rampage number four judge chamberlain on these youthful faces <laughs> uh from um what's the one with joe pesci yeah my cousin Vinny. oh yeah uh, i was like did you say youths <laughs> um you. next yeah next one uh, when somebody calls your friend a motherfucker <laughs> uh next one bathroom is right this way sir and the last one when you and your buddies get back from Taco Bell, but there's only one working bathroom. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the Utes. Yeah. Yeah, my cousin Vinny I like the my cousin Vinny reference. I feel like we should get one Fredo, chop it up into six pieces, and he'd send them a piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do that, Cam. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what if of... we just send them the heads of Fredo's? <laughs> <laughs> Could be our warning system. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, thank you very much uh, to our uh, good friend Ryan L. Terry. Uh, you win yourself a flippity Freddo. Okay, so next the film, um, next the, the next the film we're going to do next week. Uh, it's out. I sound like Robert De Niro in the Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next film we're going to do is uh, been picked out of the hat at random, and it's going to be another 2020 Oscar Best Picture nominee. It's going to be 1917. Uh, so all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So in the role of defense is going to be Joel and me. In the role of prosecution is going to be Alex and Dave. And in the role of judge is going to be Aussie. So yeah, thank you to everybody who has listened. Uh, if you like the episode, please remember to like, share and subscribe. And why not leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget about it. <laughs> my god I feel oh. like you've ruined any chance of that five star review now. we should put it on the hill <laughs> so yeah uh, check us out on all the usual and we will be in your ears next week with 1917 goodbye oh.